0: That song, Take Time to be Holy, always gives me just a little bit of pause and a slight bit of amusement. Not because the song is bad or the words are bad or anything like that, but because there's this line that says, take time to be holy, the world rushes on. And then you look at the bottom and you see that that song was written somewhere in the 1890s. How fast was the world moving in the 1890s? A little bit strange, but I suppose it demonstrates that to some degree or another, human beings always have the same set of problems. They look a little bit different. Of course, back in the 1890s, there was uh, uh, some sense that they had that the world was rushing on. Of course, now in our age, uh, the world moves much, much faster, but we still struggle with the same things. Tonight, we're going to talk about uh, the struggle that we talked about this morning, the the struggle of your heart and mine. Uh, it's something that we we wish we could do something about, but we really don't have the power to do anything about because the heart is so desperately sick. So you're going to want to be in the book of Jeremiah tonight. We're going to study a little bit about Jeremiah and see that the more things change, the more things remain the same. We are in the book of Jeremiah We'll be in chapter 17, which is where our key text is, and uh, just a little bit of background information for those of you who, maybe it's been a while since you've familiarized yourselves with the writings of Jeremiah. Obviously, Old Testament prophet, but one thing that's interesting about him is that we know more about him as a prophet than we do any other Old Testament prophet. Uh, first and foremost, he was a PK. Um, a prophet's kid is what that means. Uh, in our world, we might call that a preacher's kid, but he was born to a priest's family. He was called to a prophetic work when he was actually quite young. He was uh, saying, I am only a youth, I am only a young man, and uh, God said, No. I, pay attention. So uh, I realize our youth group section is a little bit smaller on Sunday nights, but there's a a word in there for you from Jeremiah's life, that you're never too young for God to call you and use you. Uh, Another thing we know about Jeremiah, he was single. He was told not to marry, uh, probably because of the difficulty of his ministry. So um, marriage is important. We talk a lot about that uh, for single people. There is a there is always room at the table, uh, both in the Old Covenant and in the New Kingdom. Uh, third is he was fairly unpopular. We call Jeremiah the weeping prophet. Uh, he was beaten, he was put in prison, he was mistreated for uh, preaching the message that God gave him to preach. Uh, he was a well-known guy. He prophesied under, by my count, five kings. In the kingdom of Judah, now Israel had already been taken over, uh, destroyed by Assyria, but uh, uh, Judah was left alone, and the kings under his reign or under uh, Jeremiah's reign were Josiah, Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, and Zedekiah, Um, and other prophets that were kind of his contemporaries, kind of his peers were Nahum, Zephaniah, Habakkuk. Daniel and Ezekiel. So he was known by the people, he was known by the kings, and he was known by fellow prophets. Uh, it seems like to be somewhat of a sensitive fellow. I don't mean that to mock him or anything. He's, as I said, kind of known as the weeping prophet. He, his heart broke under the weight of the nation and how far they had strayed from God. Um, I've told you before. I'm not not really an emotional person, but the times when I do often get emotional is from right here. There's something about the Word of God that really does pierce the heart. I believe Jeremiah not only preached the Word, but his heart broke for the suffering of his people and the things that they endured because of their following their heart instead of following the Lord. And the final thing I note about Jeremiah is he was very courageous. Uh, The courage of of Jeremiah and others like him. And uh, uh, I'm going to read from Jeremiah 1 verse 8. You are forbidden from turning there, but I will turn there for you and read. Then, I'm sorry, uh, do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Uh, He was given this charge at a young age to prophesy to the Lord, and he was, as part of that, told, don't be afraid, don't back down, don't bend the knee, just preach all that I give you to preach. Okay, so there's some information about Jeremiah, a little bit about the book, which we have, what we have in book form, is written, as I said, to the kingdom of Judah in the time prior to and following the destruction of Jerusalem in 586 B.C. Uh, Jeremiah wrote both Jeremiah and Lamentations, though he seems to have a uh, a scribe that helps him named Barak, Uh, and this time period of these books is about 40 years by some estimates. It is a series of warnings, rebukes, admonishments, tender pleadings to a nation that has turned its back on God. I do not know how Jeremiah would be a relevant message in today's world. But there you go. God gave Judah a final warning of their impending judgment, uh, which we know ultimately would happen very soon. And he gave the the people one more chance to repent, to turn back to the Lord. Um, But there's also, within this very sad, stark, and serious at times book, there's also a bright side to some of Jeremiah's prophecies. Uh, messianic hope breaks through often to encourage those who are faithful to the Lord uh, about God's ultimate plan for the future, the plan to redeem uh, not only Israel but the whole world through Christ. We're not going to get into every single chapter. I just want to go to chapter 17. You should already be there. Um, we're going to start with a judgment On a nation. Verse 1 of 17. The sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron, with a point of diamond. It is engraved on the tablet of their heart and on the horns of their altars. While their children remember their altars and their asherism beside every green tree and on the high hills and on the mountains in the open country. Your wealth and your treasures I will give for spoil. As the price of your high places for sin throughout all your territory. You shall loosen your hand from your heritage that I gave to you. And I will make you serve your enemies in a land you do not know. For in my anger, a fire is kindled that shall burn forever. Okay, This is very serious. We start out with the complete uh, undeniable sin of Judah. Their idolatry. Worship of foreign gods, their desire to be like other nations, their uh, unwillingness to yield to the Lord, nor return to them after they turned away. Uh, Written with a pen of iron, uh, with a point of diamond, engraved on the tablet of their heart, tells you how serious God is about these judgments. These are things that you can't just... uh, I have certain types of pens that I like, certain writing style. And I actually have a set of pens that are a gel pen, but they're somewhat erasable. And the nice thing about that is I can write in the ink that I like, but if I make a mistake, it's like I can change it. Well, that's not the case here with Jeremiah's judgment. He says, your sin is written in a pen of iron, and it's written with a point of diamond, and it's engraved upon your heart. These things you know you've done... I know you've done, and there's no fooling anyone. Your sin has, even worse than affecting you, it's impacting your children. It's impacting the next generation. Uh, the, their children remember their altars and their ashram beside every green tree and on the high hills and the mountains of the open country. And this was something that not only was their idolatry impacting them, but it was now what their children were watching and seeing happening. Then he says, your, your economics are going to be impacted by your sin. You're going to have some times when uh, all of the wealth and abundance that you're used to, all the treasure there within the temple, all of the uh, treasure that comes from the blessing of God when you're obedient to the Lord, all that's going to be affected, impacted. Um. You're gonna. Your heritage is going to be impacted. You think about the the heritage their children were learning right then. Now they're going to be taken soon into cap- Babylonian captivity. Uh, Jerusalem's going to be completely destroyed. The temple's going to be destroyed. Uh, it's a new heritage, hard for us to even imagine. But um, uh, you, it, it, it would it would be as if like a country, say, like ours, that had invaders coming across the, the border, and, and maybe maybe perhaps they did something terrible, and in a, a terrible thing, they, they raised the building here at Northside. We could no longer meet in the ways that we were used to meeting. We had to meet outside or separate into homes or something else, and and... And because of the impact of the economics to our society, we wouldn't be able to rebuild, and, and it, would be, it would be a new heritage for our children. We'd talk about the old ways. We'd talk about the, the old north side, the way it used to be. But that's long gone. That's, a, that's a, kind of the best illustration I could think of, not a great one. But th- these things were going to impact them for generations. They didn't stop. Sometimes we think sin only affects us today. But the more it spreads and the more it spread amongst the people, it would change the stories that they told their children. And that's very sad. You'll lose your heritage, you'll lose your economics, you'll lose your nation, and you will serve enemies in a land you do not know. For my anger is a fire they shall burn forever. Now, some people believe that Old Testament God looks different than New Testament God, and that God's too harsh here. We need to understand that God's a God of justice, okay? When he says these things, he's, he's telling Jeremiah to respond to a people that have been following their own wishes and their own ways and thinking they knew better than God, and they've been doing this for generations. They've watched their neighbors to the north do the same thing and be taken captive and still are refusing to yield. Can you imagine the frustration that Jeremiah the prophet must feel as he's charged with preaching and prophesying to them uh, of what God wants, and they're they're so set in their idolatry and in their wickedness and in their sin. So it's a very serious thing from God. So we get the judgment from the nation. Let's go back to verse 5. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man, "...and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He's like a shrub in the desert, and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in parched places of the wilderness and in an uninhabited salt land." This is the the core of what their problem was. The nation of Judah, they had begun trusting in themselves... They begin trusting in their own strength. They begin trusting in their own wisdom. And their heart turned away from God. They knew what God said. They understood what the prophets were telling them. but They simply refused to hear and to listen and to yield. And God says, You're going to, this is going to have consequences real, earth-shattering, life-changing consequences, as we know that it would as this people were taken off into captivity. The, the picture is in verse 6, he's like a shrub in the desert. What, what's the picture there? You, you imagine a, a desert, or when it gets real dry we have no rain, what, what does the wildlife, what does the, 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 the greenery and the, the vegetation begin to look like begins to shrivel. You've been to a desert and you see the vegetation. I mean, it's only the tough that that survive out there. He says, this is going to be you. But despite the judgment and despite the warning, there is a glimmer of hope. And it starts in verse 7. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord whose trust is in the Lord. He's like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately sick? Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. So we get a different picture of a different type of man, someone who puts their trust in the Lord. And we see this all throughout uh, the Old Testament and New. In fact, that, uh, to me, that is what faith is. It's complete, full, total trust in God. Uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. He doesn't promise that the path will always be easy, But he does, for those who trust in him, always make the path straight. That's what trust is all about. Then he gives a different picture, one that we're familiar with from Psalm 23. He is like a tree planted by water. Not a shrub in the desert, not a dying thing planted in a place where there is no water, but instead the righteous person is like a tree planted by the water. It sends out its roots by the stream, and does not fear when the heat comes. For its leaves remain green, and it is not anxious in the year of drought. For it does not cease to bear fruit. You ever have a a year of, of heat? You ever have a year of drought? I'm old enough now to know that seasons aren't just days and weeks. Sometimes seasons are for a year or years. The promise for those who trust Him is that even in times of heat and drought, you will not shiver. Sh- you will not shiver up. That's not the word I'm looking for. <laughs> um, it'll come to me here in a minute. You will not shrivel up. Just missing that key R there. Um, but rather, you will flourish. Now, it doesn't say that times will always be good, but it says in those times, you will flourish. That your roots will be by the water, there will be no fear, no anxiety, because you're rooted been in Kansas long enough, you've seen a few storms, and you know that there are some trees that have a good, deep root system, and, and some trees that don't. Bradford pears are some kind of tree that generally are known for kind of getting blown over by the harsh storms of life, and it's, it's really simple. Why? Because their, their roots don't go deep enough to withstand the winds and the storms, it's the same way with us. Our roots have to go deep enough and, and over toward the living water that we might be nourished even in times of heat and drought. And those times of heat and drought can be collective or they can be personal. So we get to decide where we're going to plant our roots But it says this uh, of the righteous person, the one who trusts in the Lord. It does not cease to bear fruit. Even if all of the trees are experiencing drought and heat, (laughs) the one who trusts in the Lord continues to bear fruit. What does that mean? Well, I think bearing fruit can be a lot of different things, so we can't really nail it down to one thing. But the point is there's still life and growth and people Live under the shade of those trees, even in times of drought. They still enjoy the fruit of those trees, even in times of heat. Then he says, verse 9, the heart is deceitful, deceitful above all things, desperately sick. Who can understand it? I asked this morning how many of you have done something so unexplainably stupid. Uh, something irredeemably selfish, something completely ungodly, and ask yourself, what was I thinking? You see that in church work. You think, what were they thinking? Why? I don't understand it. And Jeremiah would say, yes, that's, that's kind of the way it is with the human heart. Because it's deceitful, it's capable of being deceived, and it's desperately sick. And so that's why you can't understand your own heart, let alone anyone else's. The next time you see someone do something or hear about someone do something that's completely out of left field and and clearly and obviously wrong and something that God would be completely displeased with, you should remember The human heart is desperately sick. There is one, however, who can and does understand it, even better than we understand our own hearts, and that's verse 10. I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. In my view, the problem is that Judah had not learned from Israel's destruction they seemed intent on repeating their mistakes. How often do you think of the Roman Empire? I don't know if you do, but recently it's kind of been something of interest to me. I'm reading on it. I'm doing a little, following a few YouTube rabbit holes. Um, it's it's eerily scary how similar our paths are as a nation. And yet, as a nation, we seem intent at times on repeating their mistakes. That tells you something. There's something within the programming. There's something within the, not the DNA, but there's something within the human heart that's desperately sick. And when we get millions of us, hundreds of millions of us, together, we tend to amplify our sickness. The only hope for the nation of Israel, the nation of Judah, and our nation, is repentance. Personal, as well as collective. And the key to repentance, in my view, is, is a changing of the heart. Which sounds easy, but is, as you know, if you've ever tried to change your heart, <laughs> you know how hard it is. I don't think it's something that you, you can make the decision to, but I believe you need God's power and God's strength to fully and completely repent. Because your heart is so sick, it doesn't even recognize its sickness. The good news is, we understand the problem. Jeremiah is good at spelling it out for them and for us. But the bad news is, we, we've got the same problem that we've always had. We know the problem. We just don't have the ability to fix it ourselves. That's the beauty of the gospel. It's not about you. It's not about what you bring to the table. The prophet Isaiah said, your righteousness is like filthy rags. Even your very best efforts don't meet God's standard. We need a savior. Proverbs 21 says, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. Even when I try to do what's right, (laughs) even, even when you're trying sometimes, you mess it up. As we said this morning, Jesus said, Out of the heart come evil thoughts. Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. How many of us are guilty of those things? Especially by Jesus' standard who said, you know, that things like murder, it's not just about physically killing someone, it's about your attitude toward your brother in your heart and in your mind. And things like sexual immorality and adultery is not not about f- committing physical acts. It starts long before that, when it when you had these thoughts within your heart, or you allowed them within your heart. Theft and false witness and slander, all of it, all of it starts with a wicked and sinful and sick heart. The good news is, we are not the answer. Jesus is the only remedy, at least that I know of. I mean, I could give you a list of good things you should do, but that won't fix your heart. The heart is never fixed until it's put into the hands of the one who made it. Read Psalm 51. If you're following along. Um, Psalm 51 is David responding after Nathan calls him out. And he finally comes to his senses, so to speak. He finally realizes the depth of his sin. And it it, it was against Uriah, and it was against Bathsheba, and, and it was against their families, and it was against his own families, and it was against his own body, but but against even worse than all of those things is that his sin was against God. And so Psalm 51 is a psalm of repentance, and, and you look at it and you read it, and it's David talking to God. It's not David making excuses to God. It's David laying himself out and saying, God... I can't even fix my own mess. He says, the whole psalm is good, but I'm going to focus on verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. He, you look through the whole psalm he says have mercy he says wash me he says cleanse me uh, he, he, he asked God there's all of these uh, verbs but but primarily what he's asking God to do is to create and to give him a new heart and a right spirit David was exactly right and I hope that I wish that the people of Jeremiah's day, the nation of Judah, would have listened, would have taken on David's attitude. The prophet Ezekiel, in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, wrote these words, I will give you a new heart, this is the Lord speaking, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. The promise from God for, for both covenants is that he would be the one to change the heart. He knows the heart, he tests the heart, but only he can give you a new heart. Well, I don't know how many of you stayed for the baptism this morning, Whitney, she put on Christ in baptism, and I believe in that moment, in a way that I do not understand, the Lord gave her a new heart that desires to do right, even though she knows, and we all know, that she won't always do right. And, and a heart that flees from sin, even though we know, and she knows, that sometimes she'll mess it up but the heart that desires good and that desires the Lord and that flees from everything evil. That's the new heart. And she couldn't put that there. I talked to her right before baptism. I said, well, what brought you this decision? She said, I've been thinking about it a long time. God's put it on me in reminder after reminder after reminder, and I could, could, not, could no longer ignore the reminders, including your message this morning. God needed her and all of us to have a new heart. Jesus promises this in John chapter 7. He says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, this is verse 38, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now combine that with the picture that Jeremiah gives of the blessed man who's like a tree planted by water. He does not just say you're going to be planted by water. He says, out of your heart will come streams of living water. That, that from the words of your mouth, from the proclamations of your mouth, and sharing the gospel, in, in spreading the hope that you have, in talking to your co-worker, or your neighbor, or your friend about the reason for your hope that you have in Jesus Christ, what's really happening there is living water is coming out. And so, if Jesus is the only remedy, which we know, uh, and he's the only one who can give us, create a new heart, and give us a new heart and a new spirit, and he's the only one that can change completely a human being from the inside out, the question is, why wouldn't we? Why would we ever want anything less than what God offers us and what Jesus offers us so freely to the gospel? You don't have to do it. You can't do it. And you are set free from the burden and the yoke of believing that you could ever hope to achieve God's standard of righteousness. But you can have a new heart can have a new spirit, and the fruit of your life can bless countless numbers of people, not because of you, but because of what God is doing in you with a new heart and a new spirit. Let's pray together. God, we are grateful to you, eternally so, but also each and every day. For what you have done, that the more we think about it, the more we dwell upon it, the more in awe we are at you and your power to redeem. Lord, to hear Jeremiah's message is a hard one to hear because it's convicting. We don't often respond to sin and evil as we should. We do things that displease you and that break your heart. We deliberately don't do the things that you tell us to do. And we know that breaks your heart too. And at the center of that, Father, is our inability to do much about it. We're grateful that you have done all throughout Scripture, that you tried to do for your people what they could not do, and though even though they did not respond, you continued by sending your Son to do what we could never do, to, to live perfectly, to die righteously, to atone for and pay for fully and forever our sin on the cross. And we remain in awe of you, Father. I pray that our hearts at Northside will always be tender and receptive to what you have done and what you are doing in our hearts individually and in our lives collectively. And may the things that we do as a congregation, Father, never be for our glory but only for yours. May streams of living water come out of our hearts and our lives and our mouths as we respond to what you've done and live in such a way that we allow our new hearts and our new spirits to impact others, and to change others for the good. Father, if it was all dependent upon us, we'd be in a lot of trouble. <laughs> but we're grateful for all that you have done. And we're grateful for your word and the promises it contains. Thank you, Father, for being the remedy for our hearts. Couldn't do it without you. We love you. And we know that you love us. We know that because of Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.